Last week, we finished the story of Abraham. And so this week, we're going to look at his son, Isaac. And uh, next week, in his son Isaac's story is going to be predominantly in Genesis 26. Next week, we're going to look at Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau. When we do that, we're going to go back to chapter 25 and pick up the verses that we've skipped over for this week, and then we'll go through their story in chapter 27. So this week is going to be uh, chapter 26, the life of Isaac. Now, what I love about this is uh, this story is so great, especially if you feel that you are in a difficult place, you're living in uncertain times, uh, you feel like the world is being blown up around you, this story is for you. Anybody feel like even just like anything, anything? All right, so uh, this is going to be such a great story. Now, in this story, and what we're going to see is some very extreme circumstances that we often just pass over, but those are to be there to encourage us. In our story today, Isaac is going to receive what's called the blessing of Abraham, the blessing that his father received. So in chapter 26, and I've put this verse there on your outline, uh, we'll read it in a few minutes when we get into the chapter, but on your outline, it says, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, I will be with you. I will bless you and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. So the same promises that God gave to Abraham are going to be the same promises that God gives to Isaac. And we're going to see how that plays out today. This is going to be so important and so powerful that later on we're going to find that Isaac will pray this blessing over his son, Jacob. And so he's going to say there in your outline, so Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. And he said, may God Almighty bless you, and may he also give you the blessing of Abraham. And so uh, we're going to see how that plays out in Jacob's life in a couple of weeks. But one of the things that we're going to see is that as Jacob receives the blessing of Abraham, no matter what the circumstance, we will conclude that God worked all things together for his good. And so we'll we'll see that as we go. It's going to be a very interesting story. But why is that so important for us today? Well, because in the New Testament, Paul writes about this blessing of Abraham, and he says this on your outline. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, and I've unlined curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And we know that about the cross, and and, uh, um, we'll, we'll look at that, I'm sure, before we get through Genesis. In order that in Christ Jesus, and you want to underline the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So what Paul is saying is that whatever that blessing was that God gave to Abraham, who prayed it for Isaac and who prayed it for Jacob, is is what God wants to do in, in our lives. So it talked about he's redeemed us from the curse of the law. And what I did is I put the address for that. You can look that up later in Deuteronomy 28. And and everybody should take the time to read what is the curse of the law, because here's what you're going to find. It means death, spiritual death and premature death. It means poverty and it means disease. And he says he's redeemed us from that curse. Well, and he set us free from that so that we could receive On the other hand, the blessing of Abraham. So the question is, how was Abraham blessed? Well, depending on your church background, you've been taught different things. Um, In my church background, we were taught that the blessing of Abraham was that he became a friend of God and he got to go to heaven because he believed. 
and that is true. But what we didn't speak of in my church background is that as you read the story of Abraham, God never talks to Abraham about, about going to heaven. Now, we know he went to heaven, but God never talks about that. And all the places where Abraham was blessed, he was blessed in the here and now. There were some things that God wanted to do in his life. And um, how many of you here want to see your kids do well in life? You know where you get that from? You get that because you are created in the image of God. Uh, you've heard me say, uh, we have the sheep-a-doodle at our house, had it sent to us, grown up here. Not one time has that mama sheep-a-doodle ever checked in to see how their baby's doing, because they don't care. They don't care. Not created in the image of God, but, but you are. So how was Abraham blessed? Well, there on your outline, uh, we, we'll see that he's blessed spiritually. It says he's called the friend of God, and so we, we certainly, he, he's, he's a believer, and he's saved, and all that. He's a friend of God, so spiritually. It's never recorded that Abraham was ever sick. Now, was he sick? I don't know, but it's never recorded that he was sick. Part of the blessing was that he was blessed materially more than one time. Uh, it says, now, Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. In the church that I grew up in, if we were to say, hey, God wants to bless you like Abraham. He wants to see that you're able to pay your bills and do well and you know, be blessed and all that. Uh, they would have thrown you out of the church because they believed that the blessing of God was anything but, but material blessing. So, um, but we saw that he's that way. Another thing that we saw is that, uh, that he had this ability that when his family was taken captive by the enemy, he had the ability to go get his family and rescue them. So there in your outline, and we looked at it a few chapters ago, it says, Abraham brought back all the goods and also brought back his relative Lot with his possessions. So some say the part of the blessing of, of Abraham is, is that uh, he's able to get his family who's been taken by the enemy and rescue them. Some of us have family members that we would say have been taken by the enemy and they need to be rescued. Anybody have a family member like that? Absolutely. So that, that's part of it. God wants to see that happen. So today, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at how does the blessing of Abraham play out in Isaac's life. And, and uh, as I've said so many times before, the big question is what do you leave in and what do you leave out because there's so much. But I think you're gonna find this to be a, a fascinating, fascinating story. So chapter 26, verse one, uh, notice the setup of the whole story. Now there was a famine in the land, underlying famine, besides the previous famine which had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, that's gonna be important, to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. Okay, Philistines in the Bible, good news or bad news? Okay, so keep that in mind. So there's gonna be a famine, so the story is going to begin with extreme lack, extreme lack, so that's gonna be important. Isaac will look at his flocks and his herds. There's a, a famine in the land. He realizes I've gotta feed them, I've gotta feed my family, I've gotta do something. So he decides I'm going to go to Gerar. So where's Gerar? We'll put a map up. So um, I didn't go into it today, but Isaac begins his journey. He's down in the place called Bier Lahai Roy, which just means the well of living water, the well of the one who sees me. And so he decides to go up to Gerar, which is up a little bit further into Israel, still south of Jerusalem area. And so he goes there. Now, why does he go to Gerar? Well, if you've been with our study, you'll recall 70, 80 years before this time, 
Abraham went to Gerar there with the Philistines, and uh, Abraham made an oath, and that oath was supposed to last for generations with the Philistines, Abimelech. So there in your outline, it says, after the treaty had been made, Abimelech returned to the land of the Philistines. So that Abimelech was the king then. This Abimelech is going to be the son of that king in Isaac's time. And so they had this treaty, and again, that treaty was supposed to last for generations. Abimelech was the king of the Philistines. One of the things we're going to see in our story today is that uh, Philistines don't always keep their promises. They don't always keep their oaths. So you might have some Philistines in, in your name, in, uh, in your world. Now, uh, very quickly, I always want to take the opportunity to say, anytime you see the word Philistine in the Bible, uh, it's the same word that we say in English as Palestine. Palestine, Philistine, Philistine. Uh, what happened was that after Israel ceased to be a nation in 70 AD, the world renamed Israel after its ancient enemies, the Philistines. So if you look at an ancient map, it will call it Philistia. Now in English, we call it Palestine. Palestine, Philistine. Make sense? So uh, anytime you say Palestine, that's like poking God in the eye. You don't want to do that. God only calls it Israel. So they have a king, and uh, he goes by Abimelech. It's a title. It's not his name. It's kind of like Pharaoh, but, you know, which would not be a name. It's a title. So it's a compound word in the Hebrew, and it's Abimelech. Abimelech. Ab is for father, and Melech means king, so he's the father king. So that's what they would call him. So Isaac goes to Gerar, which is the chief city of the Philistines. Now, in Hebrew or in the Bible, names always have a meaning. So uh, what does Gerar mean? Well, uh, Smith's Bible Dictionary means, uh, says it means to drag off roughly or to destroy. Uh, Holman's Bible Dictionary means combat or dispute. And uh, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia means circle. So um, if you're here today and uh, you're in that place where there's hostility around you, you're, someone wants to drag you off, or you feel like you're going around in circles, this is for you. This is for you. So that's the starting point. So it's not a great place. So you want to write this down. Our story begins with a famine and in a hostile place. And that's how we're going to best see the blessing of Abraham. So Isaac goes to Gerar, and he looks around, and he's concerned by what he sees, and he realizes, this is not a safe place for my family. It's not a good place for my herds. I probably need to get out of here. So verse 2, uh, he thinks maybe I should go down to Egypt. So it's in verse 2. It says, the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Apparently, that's what he was thinking. Stay in the land, which I, wish, which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land. How many of your Bibles say, stay in this land? Okay, so God says, I want you to stay right here. Stay in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. This is going to be the first time that God appears to Isaac. And here is where God tells him that he is receiving the blessing of Abraham. As I blessed your father, that's how I want to bless you. I put there on your outline, God says, stay in this land. 
Now, for Isaac to receive the blessing of Abraham and to be blessed, he's going to have to stay where God has put him. And what he's going to have to do, we looked at his circumstances, and, and we're going to see some more, but he's going to have to trust God's word over his circumstances. God's word over his circumstances. Otherwise, he's not going to be operating in faith. It's going to take some faith to activate that. So go ahead and and, uh, write this down. He's going to have to trust the promise, not the circumstances. The circumstances don't look great. He's in a famine. It's a hostile place. We're going to find the Philistines, learn, learn a little bit more about them. But he sees his circumstances. He can't see how God is going to bless him in this place. All he knows is that God says, stay here and I'm going to bless you in this place. This is where many people uh, struggle. They, they see their circumstances, they know God's promise, and when their back is against the wall, they have to make a decision. Will I trust my circumstances and make decisions based upon that, or will I trust his word and make decisions based upon what he says? And you, you know the story, the nation of Israel, they're coming out of Egypt. They're being led by Moses. And as they go, God's given them some great promises. But as they go, they go into the desert. There's no water. There's no food. And uh, they begin to complain and grumble. We don't know how God can even take care of us. And there in your outline, it says, and this is a warning for us all. It says, yes, they spoke against God by asking, can God spread a table in the desert? You know, God, how, how could God even take care of us? We don't see any way that we can get through this. Well, you know the story. Every time they had God's promise and they looked at their circumstances, they always believed their circumstances over God's promise. And the result was they never entered into all that God had for them. So they, they, they missed out on all that God wanted to do. So this is not for you to do. So you want to always go with God's promise. Well, verses four and five, God says, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands and by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. So two things here, God says, I can bless you in a famine in a hostile land. That's not gonna stop me from blessing you. You just do what I say and I'll bless you. The other thing I think is very interesting is verse five, it says, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. Well, if you went through the story with us of Abraham, uh, we came to realize that something that he grew into, he didn't always get it right. And uh, so just like you're not always going to get it right, but God never brings it up. God never brings it up. So that'll be important for our study. So what is Isaac going to do? Well, verse six, it says, so Isaac lived in Gerar. Uh, The idea is, okay, I don't see how you're going to work it out. I see my circumstances. I'm in a famine. It's a hostile place. There are Philistines, but you say stay and say, you'll bless me. So I'm going to stay. Now, if he didn't, operate in faith in that circumstance, he would not have the blessing of Abraham upon him because uh, it doesn't just happen. Have to believe it and act on it for it to happen. So verse seven, this is where the plot thickens and the fun begins. Verse seven, when the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. 
Hmm. For, for he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebecca, for she is beautiful. Well, where did he learn that? <laughs> 70 or 80 years earlier, Abraham came to Gerar, and he had some concerns based by, on what he saw. So there on your outline, again, 70 to 80 years earlier, Abraham stayed in Gerar. And there, Abram said of his wife, she is my sister. Now, Isaac gets a bad rap for this. And, um, and he should not have said, she's my sister. We know that this is his, his wife. Um, but there is a very valid concern that he has that causes him to say this. So we don't agree, but, but, um, but, but there's a good reason. Now, part of this, which I appreciate so much, in my church background, if you're following the Lord and you don't get it completely right, you're just waiting for God to lower the boom on you. And uh, does anybody come from a church background like that? Okay. Right, three of us? Good. So in, in, we all went to the same church. So. But, but the, thing, the, the thing is, this is here because the fact that he doesn't get it completely right doesn't stop God from blessing him. And that's part of the blessing of Abraham, part of the blessing. But um, we're going to see why he is so concerned. Remember, he's living among the Philistines, so there's a great concern. We might not agree, but at least we'll understand. So verse 8, one of my favorite verses, it says, it came about when he had been there for a long time. Now, if you have, if you read... Um, each Bible will translate that differently. A uh, long time, a time, and uh, you can translate it a number of different ways. If you read the ancient commentaries on this that the Jewish people had back a thousand years or more before Jesus was born, they said it was about three and a half months when this happened. He'll actually be in Gerar about, about three years. So uh, it says, it came about after he'd been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and he saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. Well, um, he realizes that something's not right here. But my favorite translation of this comes from the old King James. And here's how it goes in the old King James. It says, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out at a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebecca. It's a contact sport. Now, if your Bible says that they were sporting, just know they weren't in the backyard throwing a Frisbee. Just keep that in mind. Verses 9 and 10. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said... I might die on account of her. Now, Abimelech is going to respond, and his response is very telling. Uh, we read this, but we miss, over, we miss what he's we saying many times. Verse 10, it says, And Abimelech said, What is this that you have done to us? One of the people, by the way, in the original language, it doesn't even say men. It could be male or female, but we're, we're going with men here. One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. Now, here, here's the part that we, we miss. When it says one of the people might have easily lain with your wife, it's not saying that Rebecca would have consented to that. 
So what's going on here, if you take the word lane in Hebrew, you can also translate that word as ravish. The Living Bible tells us exactly what's going on. And it says, Abimelech explained, someone might carelessly, might carelessly have raped her and this would be doomed, uh, we would be doomed. So this is not an irrational fear that Isaac has uh, of what could happen to his family. Uh, this, the king is saying, this could have easily happened, uh, her not being married. This, th- somebody could have just casually done this. In some countries today in the Middle East, there are some countries where if a woman goes outside and she is not accompanied by a male relative, she can be attacked and violated. And if anybody makes an issue of it, they say, well, it's really her fault. It's really her fault. And so that even happens today. So this tells you the thinking of the Philistines 4,000 years ago. Does that make sense? So that's how Philistines think. So a So Isaac thinks, because he knows how the Philistines think, that if she goes out with a male relative, then nobody is supposed to touch her. That's part of their culture. But he's a foreigner in Philistine land. And these are Philistines. And we'll see how they operate in a few minutes. So he has a genuine concern that they might say, we want her, we kill you. Now she's, you're a foreigner. There's nobody really to press charges. So there's a very valid concern. Notice verse 11, it says, so Abimelech charged all the people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And keep in mind, it literally takes an edict from the king to make sure that she's safe. Other than that, she has no no safety. So now, as we go into the next section there on your outline, how does the blessing of Abraham manifest in a famine among hostile people? Well, verse 12, it says, now Isaac sowed, you want to underline that, in that land and reaped, however your Bible says it, in that same year, a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. I put it there from the NIV on your outline. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because, because the Lord blessed him. This is the first mention of sowing and reaping in your Bible. And the reason for that is Abraham and Isaac, they had flocks and herds. They were shepherds, so they moved around. But God said, I want you to stay in this land. And so this is the first time you'll see sowing and reaping, planting, harvesting, however your Bible says it. And so this is the first time you see that. So he's just going to add to his occupation. So he's multiplied a hundred times. If you plant in a famine and your crop doesn't completely die before there's a harvest, that's a good story. If you plant in a famine and you reap a hundredfold, that's not a good story. That's a God story. So everybody sees there's something going on here. The Philistines had the same sun, they had the same rain, and they had the same soil. The difference is that Isaac has the blessing of Abraham. So the circumstances aren't really going to matter as much as the blessing that God has placed on his life. So verses 13 and 14, it says, 
And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy, for he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. So here what we see is this blessing of Abraham has been given to him, and in this case, it's manifesting in a famine with material blessings. God's able to step in and bless. Now, in order to receive this blessing, Isaac had to believe what God said over what his circumstances were saying. Because the circumstances said, hostile people, uh, famine, get out of here, not safe, but he chose to believe what God said, and so therefore there is the blessing. He had to trust what God said over what his circumstances said. It says he's so blessed, blessed so much, the last line of verse 14, that the Philistines envied him. And so what we're gonna find out that they don't envy him in a good way, and we're going to find out that when Philistines are, are you're gonna find out that sometimes when God is blessing you, there's gonna be some Philistines in your life, and they're not happy about the fact that God is blessing you. And uh, so we're gonna ask ourselves, how do Philistines respond when they see the blessing of Abraham operating in someone's life? And uh, you might have some Philistines in your life. Verse 15. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. On your outline, I put, so all the wells of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. When you operate in the blessing of Abraham and God is blessing you, don't be surprised that there's gonna be somebody who absolutely hates that you're being blessed and they're not. And uh, there's going to be some people in your life that are going to do everything that they can to hurt what it is that God is doing in your life. So the Philistines here, they look on and say, you're just, you're being blessed. You've got flocks and herds. So what's the best way that we can stop that blessing in your life? Well, if you have flocks and herds, the best way is to stop up the water supply. Because if you stop up the water supply, those flocks and herds can go away in a matter of just a couple of days. So they've thought that through, and that's what they do. Now, keep, keep in mind, 70 or 80 years before, Abimelech and Abraham made a covenant, a vow to one another. We won't hurt you, you don't hurt us. Isaac here is going to learn that Philistines don't always keep their promises. I'm not sure if I asked this earlier to you, but, but uh, anybody ever had a Philistine in their life who didn't keep their promise? Good for four or five of us. We're going to go with it. That's good. So they don't, they don't live by the agreements that they make. So verse 16, it says, Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for you are too powerful for us. He, he's concerned because Isaac is being blessed and he's concerned that, you know, Isaac, you're blessed and you're powerful. Um, you might come to the place where you say, enough of that, and now we're in trouble. So he says, just, just go away. So how does someone respond if they have the blessing of Abraham in their life when they are attacked? Does Isaac say, you stopped up my wells, you stuck it to me, so I'm going to stick it to you? Is that how somebody who has the blessing of Abraham in their life, how they respond? Well, verse 17, and Isaac departed from there and camped 
in the valley of Gerar. You want to underline valley of Gerar and settled there. I put there on your outline. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. So he's out of town, but he's still in the land of the Philistines. So Isaac takes the position, you know, God's blessing me, so I'm just going just gonna to back off a little bit. Now keep in mind that, and, and very important, Isaac is in Philistine land. Okay, he's in their land. So they haven't come to his land to do that, but he's in their land. If they came to his land and did that, they might get a war. And, but now, but, so here he's like, I'm in your land. I'm just, I'm not going to fight back. I'm just going to move on. I'm going to move on. So the question is, if he moves out into the valley, will that stop the hostility of the Philistines? Well, verse 18, it says, then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names which his father had given him. Now, notice the emphasis here. When Isaac's servants dug, and they've already dug up the wells, they they dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water. Um, If you have a, a literal translation, it says living water. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, the water is ours. So he named the well Esek because they contended with him. So Isaac's men dig the well. He's moved out. And uh, they come, they contend, they say, well, that, that's ours. So uh, he just says, well, he's going to call that Esek. You know, it's fine. God can bless me. But there in your outline, just something interesting. It says, he named the well Esek. In Hebrew, they say Esek because they disputed, which is Asak, with him. So there's just a word play there. Verse 21. So he just, all right, so he, he moves away. They dug another well and they quarreled over it. So he named it Sitna. Sitna just means strife, hatred, hostility. The good news is that God doesn't call Isaac or you or me to live in a place of constant hostility, hatred. Uh, He's just going to have us move on, move on. So verse 22. So he moved from there, and I've underlined that, and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth. I've underlined that. For he said, at last the Lord has room for us and we will be fruitful in the land. Rehoboth just means a room or a broad space. He's just saying what God says. God says, I'm gonna bless you. He says, we're gonna flourish. We're gonna just, just what God says. He refused to fight back. Well, time goes on. And uh, if you read the ancient commentaries, they'll say about three and a half years after he went to Gerar, verse 23, he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him at the same night, I've underlined that, and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear. I'm with you, and I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham, verse 25. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and Isaac's servants dug a well. So they dig, they dig another well. Well, uh, a couple of things. First of all, let me put the map up just to show you where he's gone at this point. He's gone from Gerar down to this place called Beersheba. Now, it's probably about 30 miles away. In our day, that's not a big space, but in those days, that's a, that's a hike. So he's back now in his land, and this was the land that, that Isaac controlled. 
And so as he goes there, he digs a well. And in verse 25, it says he built an altar. So just like his father, he would build an altar and he would respond with worship. Verse 26, when Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor, Ahuzath, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to him, why have you come to me since you hate me and you've sent me away from you? And they said, well, we plainly see that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. Um, They already had a covenant. It was 70 years ago, and it was supposed to be for generations, but they're not honoring the covenant. So they said, let's make a covenant. Verse 29, that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. So Isaac hears this. He said, we didn't do you any harm. And he's thinking, well, you... Everywhere I went, you stopped up my wells and tried to kill my flocks and herds, and we sent you away in peace. He says, we didn't feel all that peaceful when I went away. And so, but but now we want to make make this vow with you. And you notice the vow there has that you won't do any harm to us. So there's nothing in the vow that says that we won't do something to you, but we just want to make sure that you're not going to harm us. They're concerned that Isaac is going to act like they act, and so they want to have this vow. How does a man who's been harmed, wronged, um, how does he respond to those who harmed him if he has the blessing of Abraham on him? He has God's protection. He has God's provision. He has God's blessing in every aspect. How does he respond? Am I good? Keep talking. All right. <laughs> How does he respond? I just pretend I'm yelling at my kids. So we'll, we'll do. So how does he respond uh, to that? Well, verses 30 and 31, it says, 30 and 31. Then he, then he made them a feast. And I've underlined a feast and ate and drank. Now, let me ask you a question. If they hurt you, would you make them a feast? But that's what somebody does when they have the blessing of Abraham on them. In the morning, they arose early and exchanged oaths. Then Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. When they've hurt you and they've, thank you, when they've hurt you and they've done wrong to you and they come and they say, we want peace, uh, the person who has the blessing of Abraham on them is the person who can respond with grace. And you want to write that down. You can't do that unless you believe that God's blessing is really upon you. We would say that he blessed those who cursed him. He blessed those who cursed them. So they leave. Verse 32 and 33, it says, now it came about on the same day, the same day that he blessed them and didn't curse them, he operated in grace, that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Isaac concludes there. He calls the well Sheba. Sheba means the well of the oath. It's not the oath that he made with the Philistines. That's not what he's thinking. He realizes that God made an oath to him 
to bless him in the place of famine, the place of hostility. And he did what God said. And so when it's called the well of the oath, what he is saying there in your outline, he's saying God really does keep his promises. He really does keep his promises. The only way Isaac will know that God keeps his promises is that he does what God says when all of his circumstances are saying the contrary. As we close this today, every one of us as believers are going to come to a time, we're gonna be in a famine, a hostile place, we're gonna be in that place where we don't know how it's going to work out. God's going to give us a promise but we see our circumstances. And we have to choose between we're either going to believe our circumstances or we're going to believe God's promise. For many people, as it relates to situations in their life, spiritually, relationally, financially, they know the promise that God has or is given, but when their back is against the wall, they choose to trust their circumstances and they make decisions based upon what their circumstances say. So even though God has given the blessing of Abraham, it's not activated in their life because when their back is against the wall, they choose circumstances over the promise. This is not for you. You do not want to live your life that way because what happens when believers know God's promise, but when their back is against the wall, they choose to believe their circumstances and they make decisions based upon their circumstances over God's promise. What takes place is they become nicer and nicer. They get more and more information, but they never operate in the blessing of Abraham. They don't have the God stories because in the famine, among hostile people, in a difficult time, they chose to act on their circumstances, not God's promise. Does that make sense? So even as I went through this today, it could be, I believe that it happened that the Lord was reminding all of us of some times that we trusted his promise and, and some times where we've been making decisions not based upon his promise, but based upon our circumstances. And we're frustrated with the results that we're getting because we're not seeing the blessing of Abraham in our life. But if we were to be honest, we're not making decisions based upon his promise, we're making decisions based upon our circumstances. You don't want to go through your whole Christian experience, your whole Christian life, making decisions based upon your circumstances. You want that blessing of Abraham in your life. This is such a great story because it begins in a famine among hostile people. Uh, and, and it's in that place where God says, this is where I want you to begin to trust me. But you've got to make that decision to follow me, even though all of your circumstances are saying there's no way that it can be worked out. So as we close today, you have the opportunity. You can go forward, making decisions based upon circumstances that you see, or, or you can make decisions based upon the promises, but you don't enter into the blessing of Abraham until you make decisions based upon 
his promises. And now is a good time to begin to really trust his promises because the world is going in a certain direction and it's probably not going to get better and better. Am I the only person who's noticed that? So as we used to say growing up, do some business with God and, and make sure that you're acting on his promises, not making decisions based upon your circumstances. And so that can happen in a number of ways. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this congregation. Lord, their love for you, the things of you. And Lord, as we went through this today, your spirit speaking to us, reminding us, here's the promise. Here's the promise. And uh, Lord, giving us that opportunity to begin to follow you in whatever area of our life. And Lord, we want that blessing of Abraham. We want to see you do great things in every area of our life. And so we commit today to make those decisions based upon your promise, not what our circumstances are saying. Thank you, Lord, for this congregation. I pray, God, that you keep each and every one of us until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.